2 Nephi chapter 6. Suddenly, without giving any warning, Nephi unexpectedly commences recording a whole new section of the Book of Mormon, comprising chapters 6 to 10. These sermons are interspersed with two chapters which Jacob quotes from the writings of Isaiah. According to verse 1, we are told that these talks were given to the people of Nephi, indicating that this was probably a general conference of some kind. The words of Jacob, the brother of Nephi, which he spake unto the people of Nephi. Behold, my beloved brethren, I, Jacob, having been called of God and ordained after the manner of his holy order, and having been consecrated by my brother Nephi, unto whom ye look as a king or a protector, and on whom ye depend for safety, behold, ye know that I have spoken unto you exceeding many things. Nevertheless, I speak unto you again, for I am desirous for the welfare of your souls. Yea, mine anxiety is great for you, and ye yourselves know that it ever has been. For I have exhorted you with all diligence, and I have taught you the words of my Father, and I have spoken unto you concerning all things which are written from the creation of the world. We learn a lot from these verses. Jacob says he was ordained by Nephi to the holy order which would imply the Melchizedek priesthood. He says he has been very zealous in trying to teach them the message of the Scriptures clear back to the time of the creation. And now behold, I would speak unto you concerning things which are and which are to come. Wherefore I will read you the words of Isaiah. And they are the words which my brother has desired that I should speak unto you. And I speak unto you for your sakes that ye may learn and glorify the name of your God. And now the words which I shall read are they which Isaiah spake concerning all the house of Israel. Wherefore they may be likened unto you, for ye are of the house of Israel. And there are many things which have been spoken by Isaiah which may be likened unto you, because ye are of the house of Israel." Jacob wants to talk about the prophecies of Isaiah, who lived over a hundred years earlier. These prophecies relate to the house of Israel, and Jacob wants the people of Nephi to apply these prophecies to themselves, because they are of the house of Israel. And now these are the words, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up mine hand to the Gentiles and set up my standard to the people, and they shall bring thy sons in their arms, and thy daughters shall be carried upon their shoulders, and kings shall be thy nursing fathers, and their queens thy nursing mothers. They shall bow down to thee with their faces towards the earth, and lick up the dust of thy feet, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed that wait for me. The first prophecy looks down to our own modern times, and God will magnify the Gentiles, and they will become a great blessing to the Jews and other Israelites scattered across the earth. And now I, Jacob, would speak somewhat concerning these words. For behold, the Lord has shown me that those who were at Jerusalem, from whence we came, have been slain and carried away captive. 
Now Jacob wants us to know that he has had the same prophetic vision as Lehi and Nephi. What they saw, he has seen. Nevertheless, the Lord has shown unto me that they should return again. And he also has shown unto me that the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, should manifest himself unto them in the flesh. And after he should manifest himself, they should scourge him and crucify him, according to the words of the angel who spake it unto me. He has seen the terrible destruction of Jerusalem in 587 B.C., where many of the people were slaughtered by the Babylonians and the survivors dragged off to Babylon. However, he has shown that after one generation, the Jews will return to Jerusalem and build up the city. Then he has shown the ministry of Jesus among the Jews and how he would be scourged and crucified. He had an angel explain to him the need for this redemptive atoning sacrifice which Jesus would provide. And after they have hardened their hearts and stiffened their necks against the Holy One of Israel, behold, the judgments of the Holy One of Israel shall come upon them, and the day cometh that they shall be smitten and afflicted. Then he describes what will happen to the Jews. Wherefore, after they are driven to and fro, for thus saith the angel, many shall be afflicted in the flesh, and shall not be suffered to perish because of the prayers of the faithful. They shall be scattered, and smitten, and hated. Nevertheless the Lord will be merciful unto them, that when they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer, they shall be gathered together again to the lands of their inheritance. Jacob saw in vision the scattering of the Jews all over the world and the persecution they would receive from generation to generation. Nevertheless, Jacob says the Lord will watch over them, and eventually as they begin to accept Jesus as their Redeemer, they will be gathered again. And blessed are the Gentiles, they of whom the prophet has written, For behold, if it so be that they shall repent and fight not against Zion, and do not unite themselves to that great and abominable church, they shall be saved. For the Lord God will fulfill his covenants which he has made unto his children, and for this cause the prophet has written these things. Wherefore, they that fight against Zion and the covenant people of the Lord shall lick up the dust of their feet, and the people of the Lord shall not be ashamed for the people of the Lord are they who wait for him, for they still wait for the coming of the Messiah. Jacob had seen in vision that the Gentiles of the latter days would be greatly blessed and would continue to be blessed as long as they did not fight against God's latter-day Zion or join in support of the great and abominable church. In fact, the vision showed that the repentant Gentiles would be saved right along with the people of Israel if they accepted God's covenant and prepared themselves for the second coming of Christ. And behold, according to the words of the prophet, the Messiah will set himself again the second time to recover them. Wherefore he will manifest himself unto them in power and great glory, unto the destruction of their enemies, when that day cometh when they shall believe in him and none will he destroy that believe in him. 
and they that believe not in him shall be destroyed, both by fire and by tempest, and by earthquakes and by bloodsheds, and by pestilence and by famine. And they shall know that the Lord is God, the Holy One of Israel. For shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the lawful captive delivered? But thus saith the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For the mighty God shall deliver his covenant people. For thus saith the Lord, I will contend with them that contendeth with thee, and I will feed them that oppress thee with their own flesh, and they shall be drunken with their own blood as with sweet wine. And all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am thy Saviour and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Jacob had also seen the great gathering of God's people in the latter days. But he says there will be a great purging of the wicked who reject the Savior and the restoration of the gospel. The judgments of God will descend on the wicked in catastrophic quantities by fire, tempest, earthquake, war, pestilence, and famine. Those who try to hold the children of Israel captive will be imprisoned themselves, and those who make war against God's people will suffer terrible affliction, for God will redeem his people in the latter days. The 21st chapter of 3rd Nephi covers in great detail the cleansing of America, and we will come to that in due time. Second Nephi chapter 7. Jacob now reads to his people directly from the plates of brass. This text is almost identical with the biblical version of Isaiah chapter 50. Yea, for thus saith the Lord, Have I put thee away, or have I cast thee off forever? For thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? To whom have I put thee away? Or to which of my creditors have I sold you? Yea, to whom have I sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. God knew that with the passing of time the scattered children of Israel would think God had deserted them. The truth is that they had deserted God. The Lord asks this pointed question, quote, to whom have I sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you have sold yourselves. Unquote. Wherefore, when I came, there was no man. When I called, yea, there was none to answer. O house of Israel, is my hand shortened at all, that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Behold, at my rebuke I dry up the sea. I make their rivers a wilderness, and their fish to stink, because the waters are dried up, and they die because of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. Now the Lord refers to the time when he will come in the flesh. Amazingly, he says, there will be no man to welcome him as their Messiah and Redeemer. He says it even more clearly in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 133, verse 66. He says, quote, In that day when I come unto mine own, no man among you receive me. Unquote. 
This was because they thought he was the king Messiah. They had declared all of the scriptures concerning the first coming of Christ as the Redeemer as a myth, because they would never kill their Messiah, they said. They thought he would overthrow the Romans and make the Jews the rulers of the world. When he didn't, they decided he must be an imposter, and they consented to his death. Of course, many will say, well, at least the apostles received him. But the truth is that they, like the rest of the Jews, thought he had come as a king messiah. They also were expecting Jesus to overthrow the Romans and make the Jews the rulers of the world. However, when they saw that this was not going to happen, the inspired version of Mark 14 and 36 says, even the apostles began to doubt that he really was the Messiah. In fact, we learn from the great Jewish scholar Maimonides that the rabbis had been warning the people if someone came along performing a lot of miracles but did not overthrow the Romans, he could not be the Messiah. In other words, the seed was planted even in the minds of the apostles that if the miracle-working Jesus did not overthrow the Romans, he might well be an imposter. Even when he told them he would be crucified and resurrected, Mark says they understood it not. That's Mark 9 and 32. And Luke says the saying was hid from them. And John says they knew not the scripture that he must rise from the dead. John indicates to us that no matter how many times Jesus said he would be lifted up or crucified, but rise from the tomb on the third day, the apostles still did not understand what he was talking about until the Holy Ghost illuminated their minds after the Savior was glorified. So we see that even the apostles did not at first recognize Jesus in his role as a Redeemer when he came in the meridian of time. And this is why Jesus could say that when he came the first time, no man knew him for what he really was. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season unto thee, O house of Israel. When ye are weary, he waketh morning by morning. He waketh mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiter, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting, for the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. And the Lord is near, and he justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near me, and I will smite him with the strength of my mouth. Here we have Isaiah defending himself against the critics of Jerusalem. He says they have no excuse for rejecting him and his warning of a coming destruction of Jerusalem. They can't dispose of him as an ignorant rustic because he has the tongue of the learned, one of the most educated men in Jerusalem, and he has not been dilatory in his mission. He says the Lord awakens him from early morning to get out and teach the people, warn the people, he has demonstrated the validity of his testimony by allowing himself to be whipped, slapped on the cheeks, have his beard pulled, and even allowed the people to spit in his face. But he says he will persevere. 
He says he will set his face like flint, and in the end he knows he will be vindicated by the Lord. For the Lord God will help me, and all they who shall condemn me, behold, all they shall wax old as a garment, and the moth shall eat them up. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness, and hath no light? Behold, all ye that kindle fire, that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks which ye have kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. Isaiah challenges his critics to debate him. He warns those who condemn him that God will sustain him in his mission. Those who respond to his message know they are receiving the light, and those who are depending on their own light instead of listening to the message from God will end up in darkness and lie down in sorrow. Now, Second Nephi chapter 8. Jacob now wants to read to the people Isaiah chapter 51. In it Isaiah declared, Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, Look unto the rock from whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit from whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah she that bare you, for I called him alone, and blessed him. Isaiah wanted those who seek after righteousness to remember that around 2000 B.C., when the world was filled with apostasy and depravity, there were two people God could rely upon. They were Abraham and Sarah. From these two illustrious people, all the prophets and spiritual leaders of God's kingdom have come. This is why the Lord calls Abraham the rock from which they were hewn, and Sarah the pit from which they were digged. From these two great leaders, the prophets and priesthood of God have sprung from then until now. For the Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and he will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light for the people. My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth, and mine arm shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and on mine arm shall they trust. God intends to comfort Zion with an abundance of everything necessary to make it like the Garden of Eden, and God's law will be installed to provide justice, prosperity, and peace. The complete description of the law is found in my book entitled The Majesty of God's Law. Lift up your eyes to the heavens, and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. This verse seems to refer to the consumption of the wicked by fire just before the second coming of Christ. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, 
the people in whose heart I have written my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. During this moment of cleansing by fire, all the righteous will be quickened and caught up from off the earth. A number of passages refer to this great event. For example, Thessalonians 4 and 17 and the Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verse 96. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days. Art thou not he that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art thou not he who hath dried the sea, the waters of the great deep, that hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransomed to pass over. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy and holiness shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy. Sorrow and mourning shall flee away. I am he, I am he that comforteth you. Behold, who art thou? that thou shouldst be afraid of man who shall die, and of the son of man who shall be made like unto grass, and forgettest the Lord thy Maker, that hath stretched forth the heavens, and laid the foundations of the earth, and hast feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor, as if he were ready to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? In view of this thrilling prospect for the future, let all the gathering children of Israel rejoice. None should be discouraged or afraid. Recall the great deeds of the Lord in the past. This is the God of Israel who rescued Israel from Rahab or Egypt and even wounded Pharaoh, the servant of Satan. The captive exile hasteneth that he may be loosed and that he should not die in the pit, nor that his bread should fail. But I am the Lord thy God whose waves roared, the Lord of hosts is my name. And I have put my words in thy mouth, and have covered thee in the shadow of mine hand, that I may plant the heavens, and lay the foundations of the earth, and say unto Zion, Behold, thou art my people. In modern times, millions of the Israelites have been imprisoned, persecuted, and subjected to conditions of famine and the agonies of the Holocaust. However, the Lord wants Israel to know that these conditions will end. A time is coming when the hosts of Israel will hear the voice of the Lord say, Behold, thou art my people. Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, which hast drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. Thou hast drunken the dregs of the cup of trembling wrung out, and none to guide her among all the sons she hath brought forth, neither that taketh her by the hand of all the sons she hath brought up. These two sons are come unto thee who shall be sorry for thee, thy desolation and destruction and the famine and the sword, and by whom shall I comfort thee? Thy sons have fainted, save these two. They lie at the head of all the streets, 
as a wild bull in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of thy God. Therefore hear now this, thou afflicted and drunken, and not with wine. Now Isaiah focuses on Jerusalem during the great battle of Armageddon, which is still in the future. After three and a half years of siege, the Lord will say that for all her sins, Jerusalem has drunk the dregs of trembling. Her leaders have all fallen except the two who have the power to call down fire from heaven. These are the two prophets that will be associated with David, who is the rebuilder of Jerusalem. Even though the two prophets will be eventually killed, they will rise from the streets as resurrected beings when the Savior comes to rescue his people. Thus saith thy Lord, The Lord and thy God pleadeth the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken out of thine hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink it again but I will put it into the hand of them that afflict thee, who have said to thy soul, Bow down, that we may go over. And thou hast laid thy body as the ground and as the street to them that went over. The Lord promises to finally remove the cup of trembling from the Jews in Jerusalem at Armageddon, and he will pour out his wrath on Prince Gog and the Gentile armies. Only a sixth of God's army will survive the consuming fire from heaven. All of this is described in detail by Ezekiel in chapter 37. Ezekiel was a contemporary of Lehi, and both of them lived a century after Isaiah. Awake, awake, put on thy strength, O Zion. Put on thy beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For henceforth, there shall no more come into thee the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake thyself from the dust. Arise. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose thyself from the bands of thy neck, O captive daughter of Zion. Section 113 of the Doctrine and Covenants specifically refers to this verse. God's command to have Zion put on her strength as reference to assuming the powers of the priesthood. The bands of the neck from which Israel is to be loosed are those curses of God inflicted on her for past offenses. Israel is to be liberated from these curses and long-suffering. Now she can rejoice as her remnants are gathered together in the latter days. Second Nephi chapter 9. We now come to one of the great doctrinal dissertations in the Book of Mormon. Jacob, first of all, wants to explain to us why he had been quoting the two great chapters from Isaiah. And now, my beloved brethren, I have read these things that ye might know concerning the covenants of the Lord that he has covenanted with all the house of Israel, that he has spoken unto the Jews by the mouth of his holy prophets even from the beginning down from generation to generation, until the time comes that they shall be restored to the true church and fold of God, when they shall be gathered home to the lands of their inheritance, and shall be established in all their lands of promise. We remind ourselves that Jacob has had a panoramic vision of the future, just as Lehi and Nephi had seen it. He therefore wants the people to know how eventually the Jews will no longer reject the Savior, 
but will join the true church of Jesus Christ and be returned to the lands of their inheritance. Behold, my beloved brethren, I speak unto you these things that ye may rejoice and lift up your heads forever because of the blessings which the Lord God shall bestow upon your children. For I know that ye have searched much, many of you, to know of things to come. Wherefore I know that ye know that our flesh must waste away and die. Nevertheless, in our bodies we shall see God. Jacob knows the people have been searching the Scriptures, so they will know more about the things they will encounter in the future. But he says that regardless of the future, he wants them to remember that individually each of them will eventually leave this life and return to God for judgment. Yea, I know that ye know that in the body he shall show himself unto those at Jerusalem from whence we came. For it is expedient that it should be among them. For it behooveth the great Creator that he suffereth himself to become subject unto man in the flesh, and die for all men, that all men might become subject unto him. For as death hath passed upon all men, to fulfill the merciful plan of the great Creator. There must needs be a power of resurrection, and the resurrection must needs come unto man by reason of the fall, and the fall came by reason of transgression. And because man became fallen, they were cut off from the presence of the Lord. Here Jacob wants to remind them of what he had seen in his vision. He saw Jesus ministering to the Jews in Jerusalem. He saw that the Savior would be persecuted and die in order to open the gates of the resurrection for all mankind. He would heal the consequences of the fall, which separated us from the Father. Now in the sixth verse, he says that death is part of the merciful plan of God. Now this is a strange statement. What is merciful about death? To better understand the thoughts of Jacob, we need to know why death is a meaningful part of God's plan. Modern revelation has explained that our temporal bodies cannot be exalted. They can be quickened, transfigured, and even translated like the city of Enoch. And when that happens, the seeds of death are temporarily suspended. But temporal bodies cannot be eternally exalted and return to the presence of God to live with him in eternal glory unless they have gone through the process of death. This can only be achieved by separating the spirit from the physical body so that the spirit can be quickened and then used as a catalyst to quicken the physical temporal body. We may not understand all of the details, but it is just part of God's science. Now, the separation of the spirit from the body doesn't have to be a long time. It can be in the twinkling of an eye, but the separation must take place. Part of this doctrine is found in Alma 42, verses 8 and 9, and the rest of it will be found in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verse 28. There the Lord says he must exalt the spirit first because it is the glory of the spirit that determines the exalted glory of the physical body in its resurrected state. 
And because this is the only way it can be done, Jacob is correct in saying that death is indeed part of the merciful plan of God. Wherefore, it must needs be an infinite atonement. Save it should be an infinite atonement, this corruption could not put on incorruption. Wherefore, the first judgment which came upon man must needs have remained to an endless duration, and if so, this flesh must have laid down to rot and to crumble to its mother earth to rise no more. Oh, the wisdom of God, his mercy and grace! For behold, if the flesh should rise no more, our spirits must become subject to that angel who fell from before the presence of the eternal God and became the devil to rise no more. What does Jacob mean when he says there must be an infinite atonement? Infinite means universal. It means that the agonizing and suffering of Christ must arouse the compassion of every single intelligence in this round of the Father's creation. Only then can the Savior intercede for us and ask the intelligences from whom the Father receives his power to let us return to the Father. This plea by the Savior will be found in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 45, verses 3 to 5. Enoch was allowed to see the impact of the Savior's suffering on all of the intelligences connected with this round of the Father's creation, and he says that it had such an infinite impact that it aroused the compassion of every single intelligence to the point where it overcame the demands of justice. Of course, Jesus will only intercede for those souls who have repented or who have suffered for their own sins to the uttermost farthing. And our spirits must have become like unto him. And we become devils, angels to a devil, to be shut out from the presence of our God and to remain with the father of lies in misery like unto himself, yea, to that being who beguiled our first parents, who transformeth himself nigh unto an angel of light, and stirreth up the children of men unto secret combinations of murder and all manner of secret works of darkness. Jacob wanted his people to know how ingenious and wonderful the plan of salvation is for all mankind. Without it there would be no hope. Our bodies would die and our spirits would be left to wander aimlessly in eternity and eventually fall under the influence of Satan because there would be nowhere else to go. But of course, Satan offers no hope. His ambition is to make us miserable like himself. His principal goal is to destroy all life by setting up secret combinations that will wipe out millions of lives. Oh, how great the goodness of our God! who prepareth a way for our escape from the grasp of this awful monster. Yea, that monster death and hell, which I call the death of the body, and also the death of the spirit. And because of the way of deliverance of our God, the Holy One of Israel, this death of which I have spoken, which is the temporal, shall deliver up its dead, which death is the grave. And this death of which I have spoken, which is the spiritual death, shall deliver up its dead, which spiritual death is hell. Wherefore death and hell must deliver up their dead, and hell must deliver up its captive spirits, 
and the grave must deliver up its captive bodies, and the bodies and the spirits of men will be restored one to the other. And it is by the power of the resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. Jacob rejoices in the ultimate victory of God over both death and hell. Even those who fail to take advantage of the plan of salvation will ultimately be rescued from the captivity of the grave and the spirit present when they have paid for their sins. The eventual redemption of the wicked is described by the Doctrine and Covenants in section 76, verses 36 to 40. All but the sons of perdition will be redeemed either by accepting the atonement of Jesus Christ or by suffering for their own sins until they have paid the uttermost farthing. Sometimes we may wonder why God can stand by and watch people use their free agency to do such cruel and vicious things. But he knows that for every sin, every offense, every cruel thing that they have done, they will pay and pay and pay. And as it says in the Doctrine and Covenants, they eventually will be allowed to come out after all the intelligences and even those that have been their victims are satisfied that they have suffered enough. Oh, how great the plan of our God! For on the other hand, the paradise of God must deliver up the spirits of the righteous, and the grave deliver up the body of the righteous, and the spirit and the body is restored to itself again. And all men become incorruptible and immortal, and they are living souls, having a perfect knowledge like unto us in the flesh, save it be that our knowledge shall be perfect. Wherefore we shall have a perfect knowledge of all our guilt, and our uncleanness, and our nakedness. And the righteous shall have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment, and their righteousness, being clothed with purity, yea, even with the robe of righteousness. When all of mankind have come forth in the resurrection, they will have a brilliant recollection of their life on earth, whether they were devoted to evil or righteousness. In fact, we are told in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 88, verses 108 to 110, that our lives will all be shown just as they occurred, except for the sins that were blotted out through the principle of the atonement. And it shall come to pass that when all men shall have passed from this first death unto life, insomuch as they have become immortal, they must appear before the judgment seat of the Holy One of Israel, and then cometh the judgment, and then must they be judged according to the holy judgment of God. And assuredly, as the Lord liveth, for the Lord God hath spoken it, and it is his eternal word which cannot pass away, that they who are righteous shall be righteous still, and they who are filthy shall be filthy still. Wherefore they who are filthy are the devil and his angels and they shall go away into everlasting fire prepared for them. And their torment is as a lake of fire and brimstone, whose flame ascendeth up forever and ever, and has no end. Following this great vision of the history of the world, in which everyone gets to see his life as well as the benevolent handiwork of God, there will be the great judgment. By this time the righteous will have been redeemed by the Savior, the wicked will have been redeemed by paying for their own sins, 
and this will leave only Satan and his angels and the sons of perdition who betrayed God to be cast out into outer darkness. We learn that Satan and his angels, as well as all of the sons of perdition, are stripped of their tabernacles and cast back again into outer darkness from which we originally came. This is described in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, verse 29, and in section 88, verse 32. Concerning those who lose their tabernacles, Brigham Young said, quote, The second death will decompose all tabernacles over whom it gains the ascendancy. And this is the effect of the second death. The tabernacle goes back to their native element, unquote. This is from the Journal of Discourses, volume 4, page 54. Hebrew C. Kimball says the same thing in volume 5, page 95. After Satan and his hosts have lost their spirit bodies, and the sons of perdition have lost their resurrected bodies, there is nothing left but the stripped, naked intelligence to be cast back into outer darkness as described by section 88, verse 32. O oh, the greatness and the justice of our God! For he executeth all his words, and they have gone forth out of his mouth, and his law must be fulfilled. But behold, the righteous, the saints of the Holy One of Israel, they who have believed in the Holy One of Israel, they who have endured the crosses of the world and despised the shame of it, they shall inherit the kingdom of God, which was prepared for them from the foundation of the world, and their joy shall be full forever. O oh, the greatness of the mercy of our God, the Holy One of Israel! For he delivereth his saints from that awful monster, the devil, and death, and hell, and that lake of fire and brimstone, which is endless torment. Now Jacob rejoices as he contemplates the victory of those who are redeemed, either by taking advantage of the atonement, or by suffering for their own sins, until they are considered redeemed. Of course, those who suffer for their own sins go to one of the lower kingdoms. But still, in both cases, Satan is deprived of gaining eternal control over the father's children. Therefore Jacob cries out, Oh, how great the holiness of our God! For he knoweth all things, and there is not anything save he knows it. And he cometh into the world, that he may save all men, if they will hearken unto his voice. For behold, he suffereth the pains of all men, yea, the pains of every living creature, both men, women, and children, who belong to the family of Adam. And he suffereth this, that the resurrection might pass upon all men, that all might stand before him at the great and judgment day. And he commandeth all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name, having perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel, or they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. And if they will not repent and believe in his name and be baptized in his name and endure to the end, they must be damned. For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has spoken it. At the end of this magnificent declaration, Jacob refers to those who are damned or held back because they fail to repent and take advantage of the gospel plan. 
They will pay for their sins to the utmost farthing and then be assigned to one of the lower kingdoms. So even these, as we have already mentioned, are not completely lost to the Father. Wherefore he has given a law, and where there is no law given, there is no punishment. And where there is no punishment, there is no condemnation. And where there is no condemnation, the mercies of the Holy One of Israel have claim upon them because of the atonement, for they are delivered by the power of him. For the atonement satisfieth the demands of his justice upon all those who have not the law given to them, that they are delivered from that awful monster death and hell, and the devil and the lake of fire and brimstone, which is endless torment, and they are restored to that God who gave them breath, which is the Holy One of Israel. In these two verses, Jacob covers those who die without the law. The mercy of God provides a chance for them to hear the gospel in the spirit world. If they accept it, they are treated as though they accepted it in the flesh. If not, they will be assigned to one of the lower kingdoms after suffering for their own sins. But woe unto him that has the law given, yea, that has all the commandments of God, like unto us, and that transgresseth them, and that wasteth the days of his probation, for awful is his state. O oh, that cunning plan of the evil one! O oh, the vainness, and the frailties, and the foolishness of men! When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish. But to be learned is good, if they hearken unto the counsels of God. In these verses, Jacob refers to those who think they are too learned, too superior, too sophisticated to repent and humbly go down into the waters of baptism. However, he does not want to be misunderstood. He says to be learned is good, if they hearken unto the counsels of God. And Jacob thinks he should say something about the proud and the rich. Some of these proud, wealthy people were beginning to appear among the Nephites. Therefore, Jacob says, But woe unto the rich, who are rich as to the things of the world. For because they are rich, they despise the poor, and they persecute the meek, and their hearts are upon their treasures. Wherefore their treasure is their God, and behold, their treasure shall perish with them also. Now Jacob turns to the sinners in general. Here's what he says. And woe unto the deaf that will not hear, for they shall perish. Woe unto the blind that will not see, for they shall perish also. Woe unto the uncircumcised of heart, for a knowledge of their iniquity shall smite them at the last day. Woe unto the liar, for he shall be thrust down to hell. Woe unto the murderer who deliberately killeth, for he shall die. Woe unto them who commit whoredoms, for they shall be thrust down to hell. Yea, woe unto those that worship idols, for the devil of all devils delighteth in them. And in fine, woe unto all those who die in their sins, for they shall return to God and behold his face, and remain in their sins. 
O my beloved brethren, remember the awfulness in transgressing against that holy God, and also the awfulness of yielding to the enticings of that cunning one. Remember, to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life eternal. It will be recalled that Jacob is giving this sermon in the precincts of the temple. We should mention that the congregation did not meet inside the temple. They had their assembly on the outside, and a large area could accommodate the people. However, they spoke of it as being in the temple if it was within the temple square. And so Jacob looks out across this huge congregation of his people and makes a special appeal. O oh, my beloved brethren, give ear to my words. Remember the greatness of the Holy One of Israel. Do not say that I have spoken hard things against you, for if ye do, ye will revile against the truth. For I have spoken the words of your Maker. I know that the words of truth are hard against all uncleanness. But the righteous fear them not, for they love the truth and are not shaken. O oh, then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way for man is narrow, but it lieth in a straight course before him. And the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employeth no servant there. And there is none other way save it be by the gate, for he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. And whoso knocketh, to him will he open and the wise, and the learned, and they that are rich, who are puffed up because of their learning, and their wisdom, and their riches, yea, they are they whom he despiseth. And save they shall cast these things away, and consider themselves fools before God, and come down in the depths of humility, he will not open unto them. But the things of the wise and the prudent shall be hid from them forever. Yea, that happiness which is prepared for the saints. At this point, Jacob performs a very significant ritual in front of all of this large congregation. O oh, my beloved brethren, remember my words. Behold, I take off my garments, and I shake them before you. I pray the God of my salvation that he view me with his all-searching eye. Wherefore ye shall know at the last day when all men shall be judged of their works, that the God of Israel did witness that I shook your iniquities from my soul, and that I stand with brightness before him, and am rid of your blood. O oh, my beloved brethren, turn away from your sins. Shake off the chains of him that would bind you fast. Come unto that God, who is the rock of your salvation. And now Jacob begins to bear down in deepest earnestness to impress upon these people the testimony that he wishes to bear concerning their problems that need to be corrected. Prepare your souls for that glorious day when justice shall be administered unto the righteous, even the day of judgment, that ye may not shrink with awful fear, that ye may not remember your awful guilt in perfectness, and be constrained to exclaim, Holy, holy are thy judgments, O Lord God Almighty. 
but I know my guilt. I transgress thy law, and my transgressions are mine. And the devil hath obtained me, that I am a prey to his awful misery. But behold, my brethren, is it expedient that I should awake you to an awful reality of these things? Would I harrow up your souls if your minds were pure? Would I be plain unto you according to the plainness of the truth, if ye were freed from sin? For the first time Jacob begins a bill of particulars concerning the sins of the people, so that they will know exactly what he is talking about. Behold, if ye were holy, I would speak unto you of holiness. But as ye are not holy, and ye look upon me as a teacher, it must needs be expedient that I teach you the consequences of sin. Behold, my soul abhorreth sin, and my heart delighteth in righteousness, and I will praise the holy name of my God. Come, my brethren, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do not spend money for that which is of no worth, nor your labor for that which cannot satisfy. Hearken diligently unto me, and remember the words which I have spoken, and come unto the Holy One of Israel, and feast upon that which perisheth not, neither can be corrupted, and let your soul delight in fatness. Jacob says the Nephites have not only prospered, but he recognizes that some of them are becoming reckless and spending their resources on things that are really of no worth. And he closes by promising to speak to them further the next day. Behold, my beloved brethren, remember the words of your God. Pray unto him continually by day, and give thanks unto his holy name by night. Let your hearts rejoice. And behold, how great the covenants of the Lord, and how great his condescensions unto the children of men, and because of his greatness and his grace and mercy, he has promised unto us that our seed shall not utterly be destroyed according to the flesh, but that he would preserve them, and in future generations they shall become a righteous branch unto the house of Israel. And now, my brethren, I would speak unto you more, but on the morrow I will declare unto you the remainder of my words. Amen. Second Nephi chapter 10 And now I, Jacob, speak unto you again, my beloved brethren, concerning this righteous branch of which I have spoken. For behold, the promises which we have obtained are promises unto us according to the flesh, Wherefore, as it has been shown unto me that many of our children shall perish in the flesh because of unbelief, nevertheless God will be merciful unto many, and our children shall be restored, that they may come to that which will give them the true knowledge of their Redeemer. It is obvious that Jacob was deeply troubled in his mind concerning the part of his vision which portrayed the Nephites in a state of apostasy and degeneration. But he also saw that eventually their descendants would be rehabilitated and returned to the church of Jesus Christ. Wherefore, as I said unto you, it must needs be expedient that Christ, 
For in the last night the angel spake unto me that this should be his name, should come among the Jews, among those who are the more wicked part of the world, and they shall crucify him. For thus it behoveth our God, and there is none other nation on earth that would crucify their God. For should the mighty miracles be wrought among other nations, they would repent, and know that he be their God. But because of priestcrafts and iniquities, they at Jerusalem will stiffen their necks against him that he be crucified. Wherefore, because of their iniquities, destructions, famines, pestilences, and bloodshed shall come upon them, and they who shall not be destroyed shall be scattered among all nations. Jacob had also seen how the Jews would become abominably wicked and even crucify the Christ. From these verses we learn that since Jacob had spoken to the people the previous day, the angel had come to him meanwhile to give him a special message. This angel told Jacob that after the crucifixion, the Jewish people would be scattered all over the earth. This process began in 70 AD, when the Romans absolutely desolated Jerusalem and threatened to kill any of the Jews who tried to return to Jerusalem. But behold, thus saith the Lord God, When the day cometh that they shall believe in me that I am Christ, then have I covenanted with their fathers that they shall be restored in the flesh upon the earth unto the lands of their inheritance. And it shall come to pass that they shall be gathered in from their long dispersion, from the isles of the sea, and from the four parts of the earth, and the nations of the Gentiles shall be great in the eyes of me, saith God, in carrying them forth to the lands of their inheritance. Yea, the kings of the Gentiles shall be nursing fathers unto them, and their queens shall become nursing mothers. Wherefore the promises of the Lord are great unto the Gentiles, for he hath spoken it, and who can dispute? Nevertheless, Jacob said the day would come when the Jews would actually begin to believe in Jesus Christ and would be gathered back to the lands of their inheritance. Then they would become highly favored of the Gentiles and the rulers of the Gentile nations. But behold, this land, said God, shall be a land of thine inheritance, and the Gentiles shall be blessed upon the land. And this land shall be a land of liberty unto the Gentiles, and there shall be no kings upon the land who shall raise up unto the Gentiles. And I will fortify this land against all other nations. And he that fighteth against Zion shall perish, saith God. For he that raiseth up a king against me shall perish. For I, the Lord, the King of heaven, will be their king and I will be a light unto them forever, that hear my words. Then Jacob is told how blessed the Gentiles will become in America, where God will raise up a mighty land of liberty for them. No kings will be allowed to rule, and all nations who fight against this choice land will perish, saith the Lord. Wherefore, for this cause, that my covenants may be fulfilled, which I have made unto the children of men, that I will do unto them while they are in the flesh, I must needs destroy the secret works of darkness, and of murders, and of abominations. Wherefore he that fighteth against Zion, both Jew and Gentile, 
both bond and free, both male and female, shall perish. For they are they who are the whore of all the earth. For they who are not for me are against me, saith our God. For I will fulfill my promises which I have made unto the children of men, that I will do unto them while they are in the flesh. Jacob learns that both Jews and Gentiles, bond and free, male and female, who fight against God's kingdom of Zion shall perish. He is particularly referring to the secret combinations that work in darkness and indulge in wicked conspiracies. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, thus saith our God, I will afflict thy seed by the hand of the Gentiles. Nevertheless, I will soften the hearts of the Gentiles, that they shall be like unto a father to them. Wherefore the Gentiles shall be blessed and numbered among the house of Israel. Wherefore I will consecrate this land unto thy seed, and them who shall be numbered among thy seed forever, for the land of their inheritance. For it is a choice land, saith God unto me, above all other lands. Wherefore I will have all men that dwell thereon, that they shall worship me, saith God. Jacob then summarizes what he has seen by saying that the descendants of the Nephites will be afflicted by the Gentiles, but in due time the hearts of the Gentiles will be softened, and many of the Gentiles will be numbered among the children of Israel. Furthermore, the land will be consecrated to God, and he will require that all who occupy this land shall worship the Lord their God or be cast off. And now, my beloved brethren, seeing that our merciful God has given us so great knowledge concerning these things, let us remember him and lay aside our sins and not hang down our heads, for we are not cast off. Nevertheless, we have been driven out of the land of our inheritance, but we have been led to a better land. For the Lord has made the sea our path, and we are upon an isle of the sea. Jacob urges the Nephites to lift up their heads and not think God has cast them away from him. He reminds them that this land is better than the original land of inheritance in Palestine. They are now in some huge island of the sea, and Isaiah said it is located beyond the rivers of Ethiopia or Africa. That will be found in Isaiah 18 and 1. He and Zephaniah even described the American natives as being, quote, scattered and peeled, unquote. And that reference is Isaiah 18 and 7. But Zephaniah said they would ultimately repent and bring their great gift to God. And that's in Zephaniah 3 and 10. But great are the promises of the Lord unto them who are upon the isles of the sea. Wherefore, as it says, isles... There must needs be more than this, and they are inhabited also by our brethren. For behold, the Lord God has led away from time to time from the house of Israel, according to his will and pleasure. And now behold, the Lord remembereth all them who have been broken off, wherefore he remembereth us also." Jacob is fully aware that the Lord has deliberately scattered the children of Israel across the islands of the sea and the continents of the earth. Nevertheless, down through the centuries, God has had all of them in mind and will not forget them. Therefore, cheer up your hearts and remember that ye are free to act for yourselves. 
to choose the way of everlasting death or the way of eternal life. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, reconcile yourselves to the will of God, and not to the will of the devil and the flesh. And remember, after ye are reconciled unto God, that it is only in and through the grace of God that ye are saved. Wherefore may God raise you from death by the power of the resurrection, and also from everlasting death by the power of the atonement, that ye may be received into the eternal kingdom of God, that ye may praise him through grace divine. Amen. Jacob urges the people to remember two things. First of all, they are free agents, and they can choose everlasting life or everlasting death. Secondly, if they are to have everlasting life through the grace of Christ's atonement, they must reconcile themselves to the requirements of the gospel, obey God, and keep His commandments. If you liked this podcast and would like access to other materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find them online at skousenlibrary.com.